three, two, one. And welcome back to the official review. I'm Mitchell Graham. And I'm Zach Brown. And it's a shucky ducky quack quack Thursday here for the official review. We are ready for a great episode today. Final mock draft time, including all sorts of other things. We've got playoff predictions. We've got three up, three down for the early part of the MLB season. We're going to talk about the Masters, college football, and we might even get into a WrestleMania review. But the big thing today is our final NFL mock draft. That will be in two weeks. Whenever the next episode drops will be the time for the um, for the NFL draft. But we thought today yeah. is as good a time as ever to go ahead and drop it. And we're excited. So let's jump right into it. Zach, do you have anything to say before we hop right into three up, three down? No. Um, hope everybody had a good spring break. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Let's All right, get let's get it. it. Three up, three down. All right, three up, three down. I actually have four topics, so yeah, four, up. four up, four down, whatever. Um, the Rays are 13-0 and 0, uh, after winning today. They have now tied the record for the best start in Major League history, tying the 87 Brewers and the 82 Braves um, for 13-0. and 0. Hey, look, they're, they're on an incredible run. Obviously, they're not going to win all 162 games. Don't, don't um, but – you know, I do think it's interesting to note that the 87 Brewers and the 82 Braves both never even made it to the champion to, to the league championship series. So that doesn't bode well for the Rays. But look, they're playing good ball right now. They've only had, I think, two games within two runs. All their other games have been kind of blowouts. They beat the Athletics like 11 to nothing two nights in a row. They had four shutouts in a row. Four shutouts in a row. So this team is playing really well right now. I didn't even pick the Rays to make the playoffs, but it's looking like this Rays team is going to be like every other Rays team where they have a really good regular season and then they 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 wet the bed in the playoffs. Yeah. Probably what's gonna happen. Uh Randy Arozarena is a is a superstar. He's a great player. It's a shame that they don't have a better stadium uh because they literally have the worst stadium in, in all of major league baseball. And if their team is going to be playing this well, they need to give them a new stadium. Um, yeah. I mean, the organization has been begging for it for years, but the city just won't grant them a new stadium. So um, now next one, Shohei Otani is playing at an unreal level right now. He has an ERA yeah. of like 0.85 or something like that. And is hitting over 300 and Shohei Otani came out yesterday and said came out yesterday and said that he's just experimenting with stuff right now, like on the mound. He's like trying out new pitches and he's dominating. Like this is exactly why I think it was two weeks our last episode, maybe the episode before that, where I said Shohei Otani is the greatest baseball player to ever live. Yeah, like I think he's better than Babe Ruth. Now, of course, I don't like comparing eras. You know, Babe Ruth is the greatest baseball player for his era. But I think overall, up to this point, I don't know if we've ever seen a better overall player than Shohei Otani. He's just completely unreal. Um, and let's see. The Braves hold the best record in the National League while also being the most banged-up team in the league. We've uh, Orlando Arcia, they, ju- they just released about an hour ago that he does have a fracture in his wrist. So he's going to be out a while. 
Ian Anderson just had Tommy John surgery today. Um, we still have Travis Darno on the injured list. We have Michael Harris on the injured list. We've got Max Freed on the injured list. We've got a lot of people injured right now, and we're st- we still have the best record of the National League. Things are looking good for the Braves right now, just waiting for us to get healthy. Um, and we'll, and it, it helps that we just played the Rays – not, not the Rays, the Reds for three games and swept them. We're going to be playing the Royals next. That should be an easy three games. Um, but Braves are rolling right now. And then the last thing I want to talk about is the Mariners, the Cardinals, and the Phillies, three teams that you and I both were high on, are struggling mightily right now. Um, as of Monday, not anymore, but Monday, just three days ago, the, the Cardinals had the worst record in the National League three days ago. Now, they've won two games in a row since then and are no longer the worst team, but they're fourth in their division, which is, ter- which is terrible. The Mariners are struggling mightily. The Phillies, I don't know what is they happening. Suck. The Phillies are bad right now. Yeah, they I mean, they're missing Bryce Harper. They're missing Reese Hoskins. But – the hitting has not really been their problem. They can't pitch. Their pitching is getting lit up right now. Um, and so now that brings joy to my soul. I don't like the Phillies being good. Yeah. Um, but I was high on them. And then another surprising thing, the Diamondbacks are leading the NL West right now. I don't think it's going to be sustainable, but it is interesting that they are hot right now and they're, and they're leading the NL West. I thought they – Zach Gallon. I had them, I had them finishing fourth in that division. Um, and they're, they're right now they're leading the division. So, yeah, just just some quick things with baseball. Anything you wanted to comment on? Yeah, I, I, I've never seen a fan base for a team that is nine and four be more negative in my life. Well, it's, it's, Atlanta, on, it's Atlanta. The, the yeah, Georgia but, and Atlanta fans are are, are toxic but, like that. Like you would think. Like if I didn't go and look at their record, you would think they lost. Like I know they lost three straight to the Padres, but the first four games of the year, it was. Oh my gosh, this is the best Braves team I've ever seen. Then y'all got swept by the Padres, and it's oh gosh, what are we doing? Um, get get Acuna or not get not get a, get Ozuna out of the lineup, and then every single game, like y'all have been winning. That's I, true. I, I that's agree. True. Get Ozuna off the team. I agree yeah. with that. Well, that's true, but I'm just saying, like, it is something like something negative. Oh, squeak that one out. Oh, didn't look good here. You're nine and four. Our bullpen hasn't been great. I will say that. But it's it, it, we've got so much injury, so many injuries to our pitching staff right now. Uh, we're throwing rookies out. We have like three or four rookies in our starting rotation right now. Um, you know, Dylan Dodd has looked okay. Schuster has gotten lit up twice. Um, so, you know, Kyle Wright in his first start back from injury, he didn't look that great, but I think he'll get right. Spencer Strider, yesterday was his first shaky outing, and it wasn't even really that bad. He let up three runs. In the first two innings, but he still struck out nine batters and lasted six innings. And you so, won the game. Yeah, we won the game. So, you know, our our pitching is has been not as what we'd like it to be right now. But we also have to remember our closer, Raysel Iglesias, probably is going to be out for another month. He hasn't been healthy all year. We're having AJ Minter close games for us. My all-time favorite baseball player, yeah, favorite literally. race player. Yeah. If you're in my family, you'll get that. Um, he's always gotten on my last nerve, but, um, you know, we'll be fine. We're, we have the best record in the national league and we're the most banged up team in, in the entire league. So we're going to, you're about fine. to, you're about to go into a three game set with the Royals. Yeah. Probably gonna be 12 and four, but then we have to go back on the road to San Diego after that series. So hopefully, I mean, hopefully we get some, some revenge, um, 
for that series. I'm hoping the I'm hoping the Mets can get a three game sweep over the Athletics. Dude, the Athletics are terrible. The Athletics yeah. are literally atrocious. They have the they have by far the worst run differential in the league. They're they're bad. they've won three games though. They have won three games, but their run differential is like negative fifty something. It's I'm bad. They're it losing right a lot of games, and they're getting blown out a lot too. Negative fifty. Yeah. Wow. The athletics, the athletics were my pick. And I know we didn't make these picks official. The athletics were my pick to fit, to be the worst team in the league this year. They're very I mean, bad. They did get beat. They've gotten beat thirteen to one, six to nothing, and then, like you said, the Rays beat them eleven to nothing back to back night. Yeah. They're not. They're not good. They don't have. They don't have a single marquee player on that team. Not one. Well, they trade them away every single time they've given. Yeah. That's why they have forty six fans show up to every game. Yeah, because they don't have anybody in their. I can get a ticket to those games. Yeah. All right, so that that's it for three up, three three down. Um, I'm loving baseball. I'm still hating that I can't watch Braves games, but uh, you know that's a discussion for another day. Yep. But um, yeah, we're in the we're in the thick of baseball season, and I love it. Yep. And we are in the thick of the NBA playoffs about to start with the plan going on. The the Hawks beat the Heat, which was a great win. Loved my Hawks going out there, dominating the Heat on the glass to get the seven seed. I'm going to bring up now, I'm going to bring up the uh, the playoff um, the playoff bracket so that we can just kind of take a look at this together as the live stream. I'll go through it and I'll say it with my words. We still do have the eight seed matchups in the play-in games coming on, So, which by the time you'll hear this, you will, will have – deciders or winners for those two games nuggets are going to win whoever they face the bucks are going to beat whoever they face i'm looking at these four or five matches on both sides suns clippers and Cavs, knicks suns clippers i'm going to pick the suns paul george is not going to be active for the first two games of this series so i think that's the difference i also think that kevin durant devin booker and chris paul haven't lost since they've been a pair in games that they played together Kevin Durant's the first player to go 55, 40, 90. Um, he's playing at a whole different clip, and Devin Booker had a career year. The Suns are something nasty. This is my favorite series. Um, this will be one of my favorite series. The 3-6 matchup between the Kings and the Warriors. Um, the Kings obviously way over-exceeded expectations this year, going out there and being a three-seed after not making the playoffs in 15, 16 years. That being said, Warriors are finally fully healthy. Andrew Wiggins is coming back for game one. I think the Warriors are going to win this, and they might win this in five or six. Um, yeah, that was the wor- worst possible draw for the Kings. Worst, worst possible draw. I mean, they could have gotten the Clippers, which would have been a little bit easier. They could have gotten the Lakers. Speaking of the Lakers, Grizzlies, Lakers. Grizzlies are going to win this in five. Now, that's a, uh, a bold opinion because of the way the Lakers are playing right now, but they should have lost to the Timberwolves. They should have lost to the Timberwolves. They should be playing tomorrow night. The Timberwolves didn't have the worst offensive fourth quarter of all time. They might have won that game. I think the Grizzlies are just going to be too much. Lakers aren't a good basketball team. Lakers first round exit. Then we're going to Nuggets. I said we're going to beat the eight seed. Bucks are going to beat their eight seed. Cavs Knicks. That's going. This is going to be the best series out of all of them. It's the most evenly matched. Evan Mobley, um, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen. There's too much depth on the Cavs team. Um, every single one of their starters, I think. Are at every position are better. Darius Garland. You didn't even mention Donovan Mitchell. Well, I'm about to. About okay. Darius. Darius Garland is better than Darius Garland's better than Jalen Brunson. Donovan Mitchell has been averaging like 35 the last month. He's better 
than RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly. Then uh, Isaac Okoro, that's kind of a that's kind of a uh, um, Isaac Okoro at the three, and then I forgot who they start at the three. Um, then the four, Julius Randle and Evan Mobley. I think Evan Mobley is the better player, even though Julius Randle had a great year. And then Jared Allen and Mitchell Robinson are about even. I think the Cavs win this, but I think this is in six. Um, 76ers and Nets. I'd love to see the Nets make this competitive, but Joel Embiid's going to run rough shot all over him. I think Claxton can do enough to force this to like five or six games, but I think the Sixers are going to win. Celtics, Hawks, I'd love to say this is going to be a competitive series. I haven't seen enough com- uh, competitiveness across the board for the Hawks. They've been the most mid-team statistically of all time. I don't know if you saw those statistics, but they were like 11 and 11 and 22, 10 and 10, 9 and 9, all that. One of the most mid-teams of all time. I think the Celtics win in five. That's my first round predictions. By the time the next episode rolls around, we're only going to be in the second round because the playoff series take forever in the NBA. So I'm not going to go any further than that. But I know you had something you wanted to talk about on the NBA front, so I'm going to let you do that and we can discuss. Yeah, I want to talk about Zion Williamson. Um, okay. You know, they, they lost their play-in game, and I think it was yesterday before the game, Zion Williamson yeah. came out and said that physically he's okay, but he's not going to play because he until he feels like the old Zion again, he's not going to play. Yeah. And then there was a video that dropped of him in pregame, literally dunking the ball, looking fine. So my question is, is Zion Williams the new Greg Oden? Is he is he one of the biggest busts in NBA history? Well, and I think it's too early to say that because what we've seen, something that we've seen with Zion Williamson that we didn't see with Greg Oden is the team has success when he's on the floor. He's actually been on the floor and they've been they were a one seed with him on the floor. They were they were 21 and 12. And yes, he got hurt. Yes, he's had minor he's had setbacks. But I think Zion Williamson is a is an athlete. And he's going to get back. What I under, I think this is kind of being looked at in a uh, different way. He said he came out and said he was fine physically. What he said is it, one is probably his motor. He's not in game shape. He doesn't want to go out there and steal minutes from people who have been playing and potentially hurt the team more than help them. I think that's more of where he's coming from in that sense of being himself. I think he's going to come back next year if the Pelicans are fully healthy and if Zion can stay healthy and everyone on that team can stay healthy. That's a top three seed in the West. Because the Pelicans have uh, have a lot of pieces, um, but right now it doesn't look good. I understand that. I understand that it doesn't look good on Zion's part. But to, I don't think I think it's I think it's too early to compare him to Greg Oden because he has more of a sample size than Greg Oden ever had. Yeah, I mean, I get where you're coming from, but I mean, it, it's almost like the uh, it's similar to the 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 Forty uh, er situation when uh, Brock Purdy went down in the NFC Championship game. Yeah. If if you can't play, don't go out in pregame and just start dunking on people. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, but that to me that looks like your normal self. Like, go out there and play, even if you can only give the team, you know, four or five minutes at a time because you're not in game shape. The team is better with you on the court, but you're not going to play because mentally you're not there. You're soft as Charmin. I mean, that, that's what I'm going to say. Zion Williamson is soft. And I don't think Zion Williamson is is going to be anything near what he was hyped up to be. I think the Pelicans gave him a super max way too early. Um, and, you know, I don't watch basketball, but if, if I was his teammate and I heard that, you know, there's, there's no coming back from that. There's no, that's just soft. Okay. 
we, we you and I knew we never played sports on a professional level. Um, but when I did play sports, you had to you had to you had to claw, scratch and claw me to get off the field. Like yeah. even when I was hurt, I was playing. Um, I mean, I play I play church league softball. And when I get hurt, I still go out there and play because I want to play. But the whole thing is, well, physically I'm fine, but I just don't feel like myself. I, I, I can kind of get your perspective if that's what he truly meant by that. But that's just soft. That's just soft. Uh, but I, you see, and the, the thing is here is what I'm trying to I'm trying to go away from is this him being um, him being kind of like Greg Oden. He's played 2020, 2021. He started 61 or played 61 games, averaged 27 points, seven rebounds on 60 on um, 61% shooting. Okay. So maybe that comparison is not fair. We all know he's great when he's on the court, but he's not on the court ever. He's not there. Missed the whole 2020, 2021. He hasn't played. He hasn't played at least 50% of his game since he's been drafted. Well, 61 is, is 75%. So 2020, Oh, I thought you meant, his, I thought I thought you said that was across two seasons. No, so 20, no, so in he in his first season he played twenty four games. His second season he played sixty one. Then he did not play the whole entire 2021-2022 season due to a left foot injury. That same foot has been he's been nursing. Now it's a, he finally got back for this season, and then it was a hamstring injury that went haywire for him. Played twenty nine games this year, averaged twenty six, averaged twenty six and seven. So if he can get back and be healthy for a full season, we've seen what he can do at 27 points. Already is an all-star. He's uh he's he's gonna be, I think he'll be fine. But I understand right now it doesn't look good. Yeah. I mean, the do you consider the plan a, a playoff game? No. It's a postseason game. So I, I it just I guess it depends on your perspective. You're gonna sit out a playoff game. Some people view it as a playoff game. You're going to sit out a playoff or a, cha- a game to go a game with a chance to go to the playoffs because you don't feel like yourself. I, I don't know. It's just a bad look for me. Yeah, no, I, I can see it. All right. You want to go into uh, college football or the yeah, Masters first? College football. All right, let's do some college football. We do have some college football news. Yeah. Um, Cliff Kingsbury joining the USC staff. I know a lot of people have made a big deal about this. Um, I think ESPN put out a a thing that was like, you know, this is going to be the best offense in college football or something. And look, Cliff Kingsbury being added to the staff, the quarterbacks he's worked with, all well and good. Valuable. Caleb Williams doesn't need Cliff Kingsbury. He's already going to be a Heisman contender. Probably will win the Heisman Trophy next year. <laughs> Who knows? But he won it last year. I mean, so. exactly. Cl- Cl- I mean, Cliff Kingsbury. Adding Cliff Kingsbury to this staff is like adding an extra slice of cheese to an already grilled to an already good grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah. Is it necessary? No. Is it nice to have another slice of cheese? Yeah, of course. But it's not a full course meal. What has been Lincoln Riley's biggest issue the entire time he's been a head coach? Defense. Yeah. Defense. And it doesn't matter if you're going to be able to you know, have the best offense and drop 50 or 60 on everybody. When you're letting up the same amount of points, it's not going to matter. Especially this year, the Pac-12 is probably going to be the best it's ever been offensively with all the quarterbacks in the Pac-12. I mean, if they don't fix the defense, this team is going 8-4 and four next year. 
I mean, awesome. legitimately yeah. going eight and four next year. Yeah. You really think that defense is going to stop Michael Penix Jr.? You really think this defense is going to stop uh, Dante Moore at UCLA? Are they going to stop um, uh, Jaden Rashada at Arizona State? The guy they just got that decommitted from Florida um, is going to be at Arizona State. Like, no. Like, they're, they're not going to stop Bo Nix and Oregon. Bo Nix. Um, Mike uh, Nolan at a, or whatever his name is at a Oregon State. No, DJ no, Uyunglele. DJ Uyunglele. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. that defense is... And, and and I don't understand why he's so committed to Alex Grinch. Alex Grinch has never produced. A I was just about to. I was just about to get into that because I don't his his like hard on for Alex Grinch. I think is costing him because at Oklahoma he never had a good defense. Why did he bring him to USC? I don't know. I mean, his defense got better when he hired Alex Grinch, but still wasn't anywhere near what it needed to be. Is he having a Chip Kelly arc? Because I feel like this was Chip Kelly in a nuts nutshell. Like great offense, but never figured out the defense. And Maybe he was, a, he was a big name. That Chip Kelly finally started getting physical last year, and they were really good. They, last had, year. they had a good team. Yeah. So maybe he'll figure it out. Who knows? All right. Uh, next one. This one was raised by Hugh Freeze last week. I think Auburn's spring game was last week, and he raised an interesting point: Should spring games be substituted for exhibition games against other teams? I mm. uh, see. I love that idea, like kind of like NFL does, where they have the the closed practices. But I feel like there's too much risk. Uh, what's what, what? What do you? I, I know they're going to try to do no contact with the quarterbacks and stuff like that. But who's to say they don't get in a in an argument and something does happen? And it's like I just I feel like there's too much risk reward. There's also travel that goes into it. Um, well, that's why that's why Hugh Free said, "Why don't you just play an in-state opponent? Like, why wouldn't Georgia just play a spring exhibition game against Georgia Southern? I mean, that's not that far of a travel." Poor Georgia Southern. Well, I mean, no, because with Georgia, you kind of already have an idea of who's going to be starters. Georgia's Do we just, this year? Georgia's going to have. I mean, maybe not the quarterback position, but pretty much everywhere else we do. Yeah. Um, you know, Georgia would mainly have, I mean, and even in the spring game, the starters don't play that much anyway. The, yeah. the main guys don't play a whole lot. You put the second and third stringers out there, Georgia Southern would probably march their first stringers out there for a while. And it yeah, might be you know, beneficial to them. Exactly. It'd be, it'd be good for both sides. I don't really see a whole lot of downside. I know people are like, well, what about injuries? I actually think it reduces injuries because when a spring game, you've got 22 of your players out there at the same time. Whereas in an exhibition game, you've only got 11 of your players out there. Less players means less chance for injury. And again, as an exhibition game is just a glorified practice. So you're not actually like pulling out all the stops to try and win. And I know there may be a team every now and again, that'll be like, Oh, Georgia Southern upsets Georgia in a spring exhibition game. You know, who's going to care about that? Literally nobody. Because in the regular season, Georgia's not 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 losing that game. Yeah. So, who cares? Like, it doesn't really matter. Um, I think it'd be more entertaining. I think so. You know, and again, you know, it was like Hugh Freeze said: the coaches run it. The coaches would set the ground rules, like, "Hey, you're not hitting our quarterback. Like that, you're not doing that. If you do, there's there's repercussions for that. Like, there's an understanding all around that there's certain players that are untouchable. Maybe you have a guy who can play, but maybe he's still nursing an injury. Be like, Hey, just take it easy on this guy or, 
whatever, you know, don't try to like lay them out or Give I, them a I don't different know. color jersey. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's things you can do. I think it would be interesting. I think it would draw more fans to actually come and watch it. Um, now, the spring game is, is already sold out for Georgia. It's free tickets. I'm just going to watch it from the comfort of my couch. I thought about going, but I was like, if it's going to be televised, I'm just going to watch it on my couch. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, why not? Why not? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see the downside to it. But um, next one, Georgia, staying on the vein of Georgia. Should we declare Georgia the next tight end you? Uh, if you go back to yeah. back to 2017, you see the 2017 or 2018, Georgia has secured the number one or number two or both tight end in the class every single year. We have the number one tight end in the class. We actually have the number one and number two coming in this year. We have the number one locked for 2024 and the number one locked in for 2025. The 2025 one apparently is drawing comparisons to Darnell Washington is actually a little bit bigger and faster than Darnell Washington. He's only a sophomore in high school. Bigger than Darnell Washington? Well, when he puts on some weight, he will be. Right now, he's only 220 and he's like 6'8 as a sophomore. But if he puts on 50 pounds of muscle, he's going to be gigantic. So... Georgia has to be the next tight end. You, in my opinion, I mean, there's like, no one else close. Brock, Brock Bowers is gonna gonna be a top five, uh, maybe not top five, top ten pick next year. Um, you know, you've got uh, uh, Oscar Delp is gonna have a big year. He's gonna start coming on the scene. You've got Deuce Robinson is gonna come in next year, or not? Maybe not Deuce Robinson. Pierce Sperlin. That's what his name is. Pierce Sperlin. That was close. Um. The other guy uh, from Norcross, actually, he's actually. Oh, like I know you're talking about. Tight end. Yeah, uh, Lawson Lucky, I think is his name. Yeah, Lawson Lucky from Norcross, and then we have the 2024 and 2025 number one tight ends. We're just we're just stacking recruiting classes on top of each other. And then well, Dylan I mean, Rayola is still heavily trending to Georgia right now. The the, the train don't stop. They the don't train stop. don't stop. They don't stop. And. Um, some words out of spring practice. Uh, I saw an article the other day that says that Carson Beck right now is drawing comparisons to Drake May. Now, of course, it. it's a Georgia beat writer. They're going to be a little bit biased, but I'm 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 hearing a lot of positive things. Not a whole lot of people are 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 big on anybody other than Carson Beck winning that job. He kind of looks head and shoulders above everybody else. And I am going to make a bold prediction here. I'm going to make a bold prediction right here, right now. If Brock Vandergriff doesn't win the starting job, he's transferring to Auburn before the season starts. Before the season starts? Yeah, there's another transfer portal window right after spring practice ends. I think it starts in May 1st. If Brock Vandergriff is not named the starter or if he doesn't feel like he's going to be the starter, I think he transfers to Auburn. Why uh, Why you say Auburn? One. He grew up an Auburn fan. He's got a close relationship with some of those Auburn coaches. Hugh Freeze needs a quarterback. Um He's going to be running with uh, what's his name, Robbie Ashford at quarterback. He's going to need somebody out there to to run his offense. Uh, T.J. Finley has already checked out. He's basically came out and said that he's just kind of given up on trying to be the starter of the team. They're going to need somebody. I think Brock Vandergriff. As much as I don't want to see him go, I think that's where he's going to jump ship to. Yeah, I mean, but on one hand, you don't want to see him go. But what's he going to do at Georgia? He's going to waste away. Because, exactly. but yeah. it also, and that also opens up a Carson Beck year, maybe two, and then gives Stockton. us, then gives us Stockton and then gives us Rayola. Right. So that gives us our, our lineage. It's yeah. Fun. Yeah. 
Um. Oh, I want to do that. I, I guess we have. I guess we're running good on time. Uh, I just, just, just very quickly. This is not something we had in our notes, but I want to kind of comment on Steve Sarkeesian, his comments this morning, uh, saying Saban. that Nick Saban saved his life. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of us, we, we like to look at Nick Saban as this grumpy old man that all he cares about is winning football games. Um, but I think Sarkeesian's comments really kind of opened people's eyes, opened my eyes to just how much Saban really actually cares about people. And not just about winning football games. Um, you can look it up on YouTube. Uh, we won't spend a whole lot of time on it, but Sarkeesian basically said after he got fired from USC in 2015, um, he had a he had a bad drinking problem. Uh, he was just trying to find some help, and nobody would even give him a job interview. And Nick Saban reached out to him and said, "Hey, I'll give you an analyst job." Sarkeesian said, "I'll do it for free," but Saban said, "No, I want to pay you, and I want to give you benefits." And, you know, we make jokes about it, the Saban Rehabilitation School or whatever, but Saban genuinely does this to help people. Yeah. Um, now, it's not just because he's a good person. Obviously, he felt like Sarkeesian could win him a championship, and he did. But I think, you know, he's kind of like that, that, that tough love dad. You know, he, there's, never, there's never anything negative said about Saban. He, he's tough. He's going to be hard on you but he does it because he actually cares about you. He cares about people. Very and that's true. why he's the greatest coach of yeah. all time. I agree. And it's, it's cool to see that perspective. Cause I mean, we've seen him do the same with Lane Kiffin coming off, getting fired at, uh, at Tennessee and at USC as well. I mean, you like he almost like these forgotten guys who have talent. He rebuilds them into good coaches. And now you see every single guy that walks in as a coordinator, walks out a head coach. Right. Essentially. I mean, um, even like Loxley was is a head coach. Kiffin's a head coach. Um, Bob can't get a head coaching job, but I mean that's okay. <laughs> um, um, well, he was a head coach, but and then you mean Steve, Steve Steve Sarkeesian, Brian Dable is now an NFL head coach. Like, there's a lot of things. And Saban Saban is a very good coach, but he's also a very good mentor. And I think that's a that's the part of Saban, like you were saying, that does that often gets overlooked. Yeah. All right. Let's get into the Masters. Now, look, very surprising. This was on the. You're the guy that watches golf. Look, yeah. me and you, we we could I could play golf every day of my life. I love it, but I can't really watch it. But I will say I did watch a lot of the final day of the Masters, uh, and I was I was entertained by it. Um, I'm I'm a little confused as to how Masters coverage works because like I had to keep switching broadcasts to follow a certain golfer like. Because a broadcast will only cover these two holes, and then you had to switch to another one that covers these two holes. You were using the app, yeah. But um, the if you were watching it past three o'clock, you should have just watched the main coverage on CBS. Oh, see, um, I didn't know it was on CBS. I was only watching on on, on ESPN. Yeah, well, the um, ES, but oh, so you had you did on the ESPN app. Yeah, I did on the ESPN app. Okay, so that's you should have you should have went with the Masters app because the Masters app had the had the full broadcast. Then it also uh, had Amen aim, aim Corner. Had featured groups holes three, four, See, five, that, and six. That's on me. That's on me then. Yeah. Um, because I was trying to keep up with John Rom, but I was like, it's all like he's on hole number three, and ESPN only has holes nine through fifteen, and I'm like, like I'm just sitting here watching random golfers that have no chance of winning it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you should. Yeah. Now you know. Yeah. But, but anyways, yeah. let's talk about the Masters. John Rom uh, wins the Green Jacket. Uh, yep. Give me your comments on on that. 
Um, I think there was a lot of a lot of things that that you can take away from it. I mean the the sheer fact that you played thirty holes of golf in one day it, it, in at high level, like because we could go out there and play thirty holes of golf and we'd just be sore at the end of the day. But Once, when I get to like seventeen, I'm tired. Yeah, but I mean we could do it. But it's not even the the physical aspects, the mental aspect of being in a major with all the weather. Now, thankfully, the weather held up on Sunday. It was it was actually quite nice. It was a little bit cold in the morning, but what we saw was was John Rom doing what he's done all year and asserting himself in the last rounds. Just playing what we saw from John Rom was not over aggression. What we've what we see from a lot of people in the lead is they try to make the hero shot. But when John Rom got a three or four shot lead, he was not looking to stick it close. He was throwing it in the middle of the green and two putting, saving par because he yeah. knew he knows that Augusta in that condition is not going to be a birdie fest unless you're right. another group that I'll talk about in a minute. But John Rom played the game right. He played it smart and he he deserved it. Now, he's won the U.S. Open, but he won the U.S. Open during kind of a covid uh, during the covid year. So it wasn't as celebrated or wasn't a, didn't have like a his moment. Um, but he this is his moment. John Rahm's the best golfer in the world. Him and Scotty Scheffler have really separated themselves from the top of the pack um, and have definitely separated themselves from Rory McIlroy, who once again cannot perform at Augusta as much as uh, this is the most momentum he's ever had. He's coming off a T2 last year. A backdoor second place last year um, at Augusta he had a great round, kind of like, kind of uh, very similar to what Phil Mickelson did this year. Um, but he, he just had a great final round and then backdoored into T second. But he's never, we've never been in a situation where it's like, oh my gosh, Rory can win the Masters, and then he goes and withdraws from the event for this week. So a lot of things for Rory yeah. McIlroy have really. It's now Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm. And Rory was supposed to take Tiger's mantle. He was supposed he was. to be the next guy. And he is the face. Don't get me wrong. He is the face of, of the PGA Tour. He's not the best golfer on the PGA Tour. He's not. And, and we'll, I'll go away from that, but John Rahm deserves his flowers, needs credit, great performance. What we saw from Brooks Kapka was someone who hasn't played and I know this is going to, if we have any live lovers on the, on the podcast, it's just going to be like I'm hating it's just showing that if you don't play 72 holes of competitive golf consistently, that it, you can't hold up. What Brooks Kapka did through the first three days was tremendous. He was better than everyone else out there. Leaps and bounds better than everyone else out there. But he got tired. He, well, I could counter that argument with Phil Mickelson. Phil Mickelson plays the same amount of golf Brooks Kepka, Brooks Kepka does, and his fourth round was, was amazing. Let me counteract. Let me let me counter you again. Phil Mickelson wasn't in the final group. Phil Mickelson didn't have the final group pressure that Brooks Kapka did. Phil Mickelson didn't go in there expecting to win. He came into the day two under and nine shots back of the lead. So at that point, which I was going to get into that, when you're nine shots back of the lead, you have a freeness to you. Just go out there and play. Post a low number. You know, try to get yourself some more cash. That's the difference. Phil Mickelson basically played a round of live golf. Basically, and Kapka was in the final group. And the last thing I really want to dive into before I talk about Jordan Spieth and Phil Mickelson, they were waiting a heck of a lot behind Patrick. Yeah, I saw Cantlay that. I saw there was a lot, of, a lot of waiting this year. 
Cantlay was slow playing, but Cantlay was also um, saying that the group in front of them were slow, which was Sam Bennett and Colin Morikawa. Um, but you, the, the rhythm definitely was thrown off. But that also that excuse only holds a little bit because John Rom performed, and he yeah. was waiting just as long as Brooks Capita. Listen, I'm not a professional, but I know from personal experience when people in front of you are holding you up, it throws your your rhythm off big time. Like last week I was, I was visiting my my sister-in-law and her husband up in North Carolina. Um, and they, they, they live basically on a Marine base up there and I played golf on that Marine base. My front nine, I was playing some of the best golf I've ever played. Um, I landed a shot an inch from the pin. Uh, I was playing some of the best golf. The, the two Marines I was playing with were like, dude, I thought you said you weren't a good golfer. And I was like, I'm just having a great round. Well, and there was nobody in front of us. Well, at the turn, two groups just randomly popped up in front of us. Like just came out of the clubhouse and started their round on 10. I don't know why they did that. Slowed me down, had a much worse back nine. So I, I can tell you, and I don't even know why I'm sharing this story. I'm just right. saying, no, I know that slow play, a change of pace, slow pace can really affect your rhythm. No, so. it, definitely. And, uh, and now you're a professional golfer, so you shouldn't, you should be able to keep your rhythm and hit good shots. But John Rahm was dominant. And then the last thing, um, uh, uh, Jordan Spieth and Phil Mickelson shot a best ball 58. Wow. So if you calculate the best, if they were doing best ball, which you take the best ball from each hole from each golfer, right. they shot a best ball 58. They were just birdieing different holes. Jordan Spieth had the most birdies out of anyone in the Masters last week. And he lost. birdied more holes, and he lost, not because of his play, because of his mental. He made two mental mistakes on Thursday that I, that I truly believe cost him the round. So I'm not going to dive into that. Last thing, Sam Bennett, the amateur, um, came out, shot back-to-back 68s, was sent at eight under going into the third round. In his press interview, he started calling out Augusta National. Then he shot back-to-back 76s. (laughs) Yeah. So, or 75s. 75s. So he shot back-to-back 75s. So finished top five. Top, no, he wasn't top five at two under, I don't think. he was top 10 at least. Oh, um, but, but that's still great for an amateur. Um, a guy of that, a guy who's really good. Um, a guy who we're going to see a lot of, um, but he ran his mouth a little too much and made me lose a little bit of that. Uh, Oh my gosh, look at this amateur kind of guy. Um, but, uh, anyways, it was a great match. I, like I like it. The golf needs personality, dude. That's the thing that golf lacks the most is golfers with personality. That's what they need. I, I agree with you. Golf needs villains. We we need villains in golf. Which we have villains, and I think this was in your show notes, is the fact that the all of live is the villain. Right. All of live golf is the villain. Patrick Reed came in and backdoored a top five. Yeah. And so the biggest that, villain. That's a good segue into this question. Now with Tiger Woods kind of at the point in his career where he's don't think he's ever going to win a major again, honestly. Just with well, his health. Will. Yeah, and all that with him being on the decline, do you think that kind of the next phase of golf or the I guess what what'll keep bringing what'll what'll 
bring viewers to golf is no longer Tiger, but the live versus PGA rivalry? For a while, yes. But what I will say about that is what's bringing people to golf now is social media. Golf has never been more marketable. Golf has never been more and like never, never been more popular than it is now in the, the YouTube realm with good, good with Rick Shields, with Micah and Grant and all these groups playing on YouTube. Bryson DeChambeau's big on YouTube. Like the marketability of golf right now is what is drawing attention to golf. Yeah. And what, and when it tiger, yes, is going to draw a lot of fans. But Tiger, to be honest with you, is not drawing a lot of these new fans because yeah. all these new fans have only seen injured Tiger Woods. Yeah, Never I think seen. I think also the full swing documentary had a lot to do with Definitely. it, too. which that's that's good marketing for the sport. Yeah, full swing is really good. I watched three or four of the episodes and they're really good. And I've I've been a lifetime. You know, I've been a lifetime golf fan. Like I've watched golf my whole life. Um, yeah, so, I don't know how, I mean, but yeah. I, I mean, I've watched it my whole life. So I, I remember a lot of the things that happened. Um, and I remember when it wasn't that popular. But it's, the, it, it's one of the most popular sports in the world right now. And it's yeah. gaining all that popularity. Live versus PGA helps a lot. But, that, but to be honest with you, the casual golfer who comes in and watches, he's not going to know who plays for Live and who doesn't. Yeah. If you didn't have me or read a lot on social media, you wouldn't have known why Phil Mickelson was wearing a high flyers hat. You could have just thought it was a brand. Right. It's and you, why, why is Patrick Reed wearing a four aces shirt? That could just be a brand. So I, I I think the marketability of golf has what has made what's made it popular. And it's kind of Ascension. And popularity on social media has led to viewers on the actual tournament. To be honest with you, I know we got to move on, but I think I think COVID exploded golf because people people needed to find new hobbies. And I think people just decided to pick up golf because you can be outdoors. People have been cooped up for, you know, however long they were on lockdown. And then they're like, let's pick up a hobby where I can be outside. And it's like, oh, well, there's golf where you don't have to be super athletic to play it. You can be outside and it's a blast to play. You know, I I, I think COVID, I think COVID, I think golf is the one sport that maybe benefited the most from COVID. hundred percent. Now, not professional golf, because I feel like professional golf wasn't, was kind of hard to watch with no fans, but, but definitely the sport. And I, I, this, I was thinking about this the other day. If the way that I have like the desire to play golf now, and the like, I have enough money to kind of go play golf like one, two times a week if I really want to. Um, if if I had that same kind of time during COVID, dude, I would be out there every day. Like, yeah. I regret not playing more golf during COVID. Right. Because I feel like we only went like a couple times, and like if it well, was a lot of, not a lot of courses were open. It's true. Because we went to, I think we went to. Um, we went to uh, uh, the one by, by Chick-fil-A. You know what I'm talking about? The nice course in Appala- Trophy Club. We went to Trophy, Trophy Club. Club. We went to Trophy, Trophy Club, Club yeah, during yeah. COVID. So I remember that. But uh, anyways, we've gotten off on the tangent. Yeah. But, but, uh, let's the get Masters into the NFL. Was, Masters was really good. Yes, yeah, so let's get into the NFL. Um, Jeff Okuda traded to the Falcons for a fifth-round pick. Um, 
I don't know how you feel about that. But the fact that they only got a fifth round pick out of him, the, to me, that kind of speaks to his value. It's it's not great. He was supposed to be a lot better coming out of college. I know he's had a lot of injury issues. What do you think about the Jeff Okuda trade? I think it's a safe. I mean, I think it's safe for the Falcons. I mean, you only gave up a fifth. You get a guy who has high potential if he can reach his potential like he was at Ohio State. And I think it's just showing it's another good move from Terry Fontenot because if you look at the defense now for the Falcons, it's got a lot of names. There's actually it's going to be a good, serviceable team. Right. And I'm excited about the Falcons secondary, especially if they can add um, some more guys in the draft. I think the Fal- I think it was a, it, it was a very low risk, high reward move from Terry Fontenot, and I like it. Yeah. Um, Odell Beckham to the Ravens. This was a this was a surprise to me because he had a deal in place with the Jets for like two weeks, and then just swerved yeah. and went to the Ravens. Now, with that happening, do you think this means Lamar is staying? And the reason why I ask that is I don't see Odell Beckham signing with a team that has no quarterback and that if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance of winning. He could have played for the Jets. He could have played for a lot of other teams that had a chance of winning and all of them were interested in him, but he signs the Ravens. That tells me that maybe he knows something that we don't, that maybe Lamar is actually going to stay in Baltimore. I, I don't, I just don't, after everything we've heard through this whole off season, I just don't see, and I, I really do not see, Lamar going back to the Ravens, but that's the only explanation I have for this move. It's the only explanation I can make of it. So maybe, maybe he is. Yeah. I mean, nobody's making a deal. Now I I would, I I will say that I think there'll be more traction on him after the, uh, after the, after the draft. I think people will actually try to get Lamar after then, but maybe Lamar has been convinced that he can still stay. Maybe now the Ravens are like, okay, we'll get you a weapon. Just please don't leave. You know? Yeah. Maybe Todd Munkin called him and said, dude, please. Yeah. I left Georgia for I'd, this. <laughs> I'd listen to Todd. I'd listen. To I left Georgia for this. You can't leave. Please. Yeah. Um, next one, the Dwayne Haskins story. This is crazy. Um, I don't know if you've seen. I didn't read up on it. I saw something about yes, it. Yes. I don't know if you've, if, if, our, if our viewers have seen this or not. Uh, the Dwayne Haskins, we all know, is a tragic story of him being, uh, you know, he got hit by a, a, a dumpster truck one night and was killed. Uh, some more details have come out about that. His family is actually filing a lawsuit against several, against like two restaurants and like four different people or something. Apparently, there was some kind of conspiracy where he was drugged um, in order to rob him, basically, uh, of, of money, drug him and rob him um it, it was some kind of conspiracy something that's commonly done in like drug cartels and stuff like that um to and, and even in in like third world countries some kind of conspiracy was going on and then because he was drugged he got he got hit by the truck was killed i, I don't know all the details that's kind of wow. all i know surface yeah. level but if all that stuff is true that it's just it just makes it even more tragic that he was targeted right. like this um so, yeah, just just prayers up to the to the Haskins right. family. Right. Um, you know, the story just gets more and more wild uh, as we go along, and, and it probably will get crazier. So, yeah, and and sticking with the Commanders, uh, they Dan Snyder finally sold the team today. Great, uh, sold the team for six billion dollars to, I think it's like the Josh Harris Corporation. I don't know who that is. I don't know what that is. 
Um, but the team's finally been sold. So maybe the commanders will go a different direction. Maybe they'll actually be good. And I'm going to allude to that in my, uh, my mock draft. Six billion? Six billion dollars. He's rich now. Yeah. Richer. All right, let's get into our mock draft. Let's yes. Yes. Yes, we can be. This is going to be the, the, this is the mock draft that we are going to take into draft night in reference. See if we get correct. Yes. So, um, I don't know. I don't remember who started last time. I think but, I did. So you will start and then, yeah, I'll, I'll do two and then you'll do two and whatever. Now, I don't know about you. My pro football focus would not let me make trades. Yeah, I point. don't know what happened. Pro football focus now, like you have to pay to make trades. I guess it was only free for a certain amount of time. I don't know what happened. So no trades. No, I still made a trade. I just, I just pretended like the team was was there in that spot and picked them. Well, good. Okay, I should have done that. I didn't take that time though. Um, my number one pick, the Carolina Panthers. I think they're taking Bryce Young. I think I've come to that conclusion. I've heard a lot of uh, a lot of things where. Um, I think Schefter came out and said that if Shroud went and visited Carolina, it'd be a waste of time. They've kind of made up their mind on Bryce Young. Um, so this is the first time that I've had Bryce Young going number one. And I, I, I think that's gonna, how it's going to go. Yeah. And, and look, I agree with you. My number one overall pick is Bryce Young. I told you the last mock draft that the, uh, the coach wanted um, Stroud, the general manager wanted Bryce Young. Usually the general manager wins in those arguments. Plus, I mean, and we also both agreed that you wouldn't go wrong either way, but I think yeah. Bryce Young is the best quarterback in this draft. Um, I don't care about his size. Size is such an, is such an overstated, overrated thing people talk about when it comes to quarterbacks, in my opinion. So it doesn't matter? Um, I don't think it matters that much when it comes to quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, I mean, look at Joe Burrow. He was told, everybody said that he had small hands, and yet he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And yeah. Kenny Pickett's too small, and he was actually decent. You know, I think it, Drew Brees, one of the smallest starting quarterbacks we've ever seen, Hall of Famer. Wilson's I think size is overrated. Yeah. Just yeah. overrated. Um, Kyler Murray's small. So give me Bryce Young at number one. And then at number two, I think D'Amico Ryans gets uh, gets C.J. Stroud uh, to be their franchise quarterback. I think that's just a no-brainer for them to go with C.J. Stroud. Now, I've heard reports that the Texans aren't completely sold on a quarterback. Um, and which is interesting and they could go Will Anderson with the second pick. Um, I've also seen a lot of like that, the, since they're not sold, they might try to trade down. Obviously I didn't have them make a trade and I think they're going to go CJ Stroud. I think if they were dumb, if they, I think, I think that they're not dumb enough again to not go quarterback here. I think CJ Stroud's their guy. I don't think they can go. It has to be Stroud. It has to be. Now at three, this is another pick that has been rumored to be traded. No, I was supposed to go two and oh, I did. Two, yeah, you two, just did. Two I did. Right. I did. You're right. Um, you're now right, three, right. three is it is rumored to be traded around. The Cardinals might trade away. I think they're going to keep it, but I think they're also going to make a surprise. I think they're going Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech. I think they wow. they they think he's the. I've heard reports that he's the safest edge rusher pick in all of this draft, which is crazy to think about. But I think the Cardinals are going to go Tyree Wilson, and I think they're going to get a really good guy. But uh, it's definitely going to be a shock seeing Will Anderson fall out of the top three, but I think that's what's going to happen if the Cardinals hold on to the pick because I very well could see this pick being traded. Yeah, they they reported that they've had at least six teams contact them about this number three pick. But I think the Cardinals will keep it, and I think they're going to take Will Anderson. I've had the same pick all three mock drafts. Um, I think the whole, the whole Tyree Wilson is the same. I think that's kind of a swerve. 
Uh, I don't really know why you would need to because nobody else is going to pick him at that spot. Um, give me Will Anderson at three. I still think the Cardinal. he's the best edge rusher in the draft. I don't know how you could go safer than Will Anderson, but give me Will Anderson at three to the Cardinals. Number four, um, man, every mock draft, I've had the Colts doing something different and doing something wild every time. But I honestly have just come to the conclusion they're picking Will Levis at four. Um, I think they're buying into it. I think they really are buying into the Will Levis hype. And the Colts are just going to show, once again, why they're such a poorly run franchise. I mean, they're going to take a flyer on him. Will Levis is going to let him down. Um, he's going to be out of the league in three years. He's going to be he's going to be Zach Wilson 2.0. He's just not going to be good. Um, and Will Levis is going to be a huge letdown for the Colts. But it's what the Colts have been doing, you know, ever since the Andrew Luck days. They've been just they just make mistakes. They don't run their team very well. So and I, I honestly, I've always had a soft spot for the Colts. I don't know why. I, I like their team. I like their uniforms are just beautiful. I love the way the blue and the white go together, but I just think they're going to make a huge mistake and pick Will Levis. You know, I 100% agree with you. I have them taking Will Levis as well. I just think Jim Irsay loves that style of quarterback. I'm not saying anything uh, other than that. Um, I think Will Levis is is the guy that they're going to go with, and we'll see. I, I think I can definitely I could I could see a world where he's exactly like Zach Wilson. I could see a world where he's serviceable. I don't see. I don't see a world where he's great or a top right. five pick. Um, so, but I think I've got them. I, I've got them going Will Levis, and then Seattle at number five. They're getting Will Anderson. I think they're going to walk away so happy getting a guy like Will Anderson oh, yeah. at five. Um, yeah, like that. You couldn't go wrong. That that would be a no brainer at that at that point. So uh, number five to Seattle is Will Anderson. So you and I have our three and five switched. I have Tyree Wilson going to the Seahawks yeah, at five. Yeah. Um, Pete Carroll loves his defensive players. Um, he Pete Carroll does best when he has a good defense around him. So he's going to go Tyree Wilson here and pick him. Um, safe pick. He's a phenomenal uh, edge rusher. Then at number six, the Detroit Lions. I've got the Lions taking Devin Witherspoon. It's actually not listed on Pro Football Focus as a need, but after trading Jeff Okuda away, they're going to need some secondary help. Got them taking Devin Witherspoon, the corner out of Illinois. He's the best corner available, according to Pro Football Focus. I think they take him there. Uh, they do have another pick at 18. I think they can wait to get an offensive piece at 18. I think they're going to go. I think they're going to go Jalen Carter. They're going to go best available de- interior defensive line. I know what you're saying about the corner, but they obviously didn't feel confident in Okuda. And, and they, they obviously felt confident in what they had outside of Akuda to trade him for only a fifth round pick. Um, Akuda was, wasn't happy that he was going to leave anyway. Yeah. But I mean, the corner position is deep. Um, so I feel like they can go and get one later, but here you got to take a guy like Jalen Carter. You can't let him fall anymore. Then you've got you. Now you've got Aiden Hutchinson off the edge and Jalen Carter in the middle. That's a really good defensive line. Yeah. I, I not to interrupt you. I have Jalen Carter falling because of his, uh, of the arrest. There's a lot of compiling things happening with Jalen Carter, and all of them are negative. The the, uh, the the connection to the car crash that killed his teammate, the terrible performance at the pro day, and the fact that he refuses to meet with teams, and the fact he didn't even show up to the combine. All just there's not any positive things coming out about Jalen Carter right now. I think that's going to hurt him a lot. It could, it very well could. And I see your point, but I think his talent on game film is is undeniable. 
Yeah. And I think that's going to keep him up there. Go ahead and make now, your seventh pick. I now it's seven. No, it's fine. Uh, now it's seven. I've got, had, I've had the Raiders go someone different every single time. This time, I've, this is a guy that I've seen soaring up draft boards. I've got the Raiders taking Paris Johnson. Tackle out of Ohio State. I think he's the... He's now graded as the best tackle, I think, on according to Pro Football Focus. Might be him or the other guy out of Northwestern, Karonsky. But I think they've, they've, there's obviously a need at that position. Now they've got Garoppolo, who's not going to be mobile. He's not a mobile guy. You need a guy that you need protection. Paris Johnson's a big dude, uh, has played high-level football. It's a, a, a really good pick. It's a, it's a boring pick, but it's a good pick. Paris Johnson. When it comes to the Oakland Raiders, I've said this before and I'll say it again. If you can, if you were to bet on one team to mess up their draft, I'm going to bet on the Raiders. Um, and I think they're going to do it again. They're under the same ownership. Um, they hired a coach that isn't, doesn't have success and is not going to have success there, Josh McDaniels. I think they're going to go Anthony Richardson at seven because wow. everybody's saying Anthony Richardson is a project. And for some reason, Oakland loves projects. They love unproven guys. They love to take guys that, are all hype and not actually per- proven on the field. Wow. Um, I think they're going to take Anthony Richardson. I know they just got Jimmy Garoppolo, but I think even the Raiders can see that Jimmy Garoppolo is never fully healthy. So they got to have somebody behind him to play. And I think they're going to take Anthony Richardson and run with the experiment. I think it's going to be a really dumb pick, but the Raiders are notorious for doing that. Wow. Um, number eight, the Falcons. I have the Falcons taking Quentin Johnston. He's the best wide receiver in this draft. I know we have said the Falcons really do not need to take a wide receiver, but look, they've been signing all these defensive players. They've been sealing up the defense, and the wide receiver class is not incredibly deep. I mean, you've only got about maybe three or maybe four that are worth a first-round pick. You got it. How do you counteract a bad quarterback situation? Give them some weapons to make it a little bit easier on them. Quentin Johnston could could very well turn out to be a um, a Julio Jones type wide receiver. Um, so when you do get that future quarterback, when you do get that quarterback that you can build around, you'll have London who had a good year last year and Johnston already there. I, I know that that's not what Falcons fans want to hear, but I think it's what they're going to do. Take Quentin Johnston. Yeah, I, I see your point. I've got them going. I, I've got them going. Just keeping up with what they've done in the off season. Go. I got them going. Devin Wither, Witherspoon. Corner out of Illinois. You can never have too many secondary guys. Um, Okuda, like you said, yeah, we we brought him in, but can you trust him? So I still think there is a gap at cornerback two. Uh, I think Devin Witherspoon is going to slide right in there. I mean, he's going to be really good. He's a physical guy. He really he matches our um, our new guys. I uh, forgot his name for some reason. Ryan, I think, is his first name. Our new defensive coordinator. He matches their uh, his Ryan Nielsen is his name. Um, matches his brand of football. I think it's an easy pick for them. They're going to go Devin Witherspoon if he's there. And then at nine, the uh, the Chicago Bears, they're going to go tackle Peter Skaronsky at a Northwestern. I think there's a lot of different ways they could go here, but with everything unfolding above them, I think they're just going to go safe and go tackle to protect Justin Fields. My number nine, I've got uh, the Bears taking Jalen Carter. Um, he's going to be still on the board. Um, again, they've got a defensive-minded head coach. How can you pass up on him? I know they could take a weapon for Justin Fields, and he probably needs a weapon. But with Jalen Carter, he's had the character issues and all the other stuff that's making him made him fall. But at this point, if he's still available, you kind of have to take him at this point. So I got Jalen Carter at nine. Um, and then at number 10, 
the Eagles, I've always had trouble with the Eagles because they can literally do anything. Um, I've got them going Christian Gonzalez, the corner out of Oregon. I think they could use another corner. I think they lost one of their corners this past offseason. So I think Christian Gonzalez will be a solid pick for them. They really could go any direction. So I'm not I'm not a hundred percent confident on, on this pick for the Eagles, but I've got them going Christian Gonzalez. Now this is where my draft gets wild. I'm just I'm just I'm just warning you. I've got the Eagles going someone who's been dr- rising up draft boards that I've seen. That th- I've got them going interior defensive lineman Kalijah Kansi with the tenth pick out of Pittsburgh. I, now I originally had them picking Kansi and I changed my pick, so I could see that. Yeah, so I, I think he's going to be the perfect pair with Fletcher Cox, with Jordan Davis. He's a guy that, he, with the Eagles, you can take a, because I've heard that he's a, he's had he struggles staying on the field for four, like three downs. And now you have guys like Cox, you have guys like Davis, you can rotate Cancy in and out, and he's going to be healthy. He's going to be fresh. I think he's going to be a guy that he yeah. My my hesitation with putting Cancy there is they've already got two interior defensive linemen. You can't play three guys on the interior defensive line. But this is that's exactly what I'm saying. They're, they the Eagles don't need anything. Yeah, so they can go with a depth pick. Right. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And now at eleven, that's my pick, right? I'm next. yes, yes. At eleven, I've got the Tennessee Titans drafting Anthony Richardson, quarterback out of Florida. I think they're not sold on Malik Willis. They're not sold on Ryan Tannehill, obviously. I think they're, look, I've heard a lot about Tennessee. I've a lot of rumors swirling around. They want the third pick. The Titans are trying yeah. to trade up to that third pick. I think the Titans go Anthony Richardson here. And he might not start off the bat, but I think he does see the field this year for the Titans. I think it's going to be a weird year for the Titans. Don't know, really know where they're going to go. Can't really predict the way the direction they're going to go uh, record wise or team wise. Yeah. Go Anthony Richardson here. Yeah, Vrabel. Uh, I always have confidence in Vrabel, even with a bad roster. I feel like they'll still at least be competitive. Yeah. I'm going to go at number eleven. They're going to go Peter Skaronsky, just because they they run that Smash Mouth style. They they want to be able to to run the ball first, and to be able to do that, you got to have the right offensive line pieces. So I'm going to have them go with a boring pick and pick Skaronsky at 11. At number 12, I think, in my opinion, this is this is an obvious pick if he's still available at this point. I've got the Texans taking Jackson Smith and Jigba, pairing him up with his college teammate and C.J. Stroud. If he's available, if they get Stroud, this just makes 100% sense to hook him up with somebody he played. This is what the Bengals did with Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. Look how that's worked out. I think this is a, a no-brainer if Jackson Smith and Jigba is available at this spot. I think they take him at 12. I'm really, I'm really pissed off at you right now. I had my script ready and everything for this. Oh, I got you, Jack, you did the Jack, same thing? <laughs> Jackson Smith and Jigba going at 12 to the Texans. It just makes sense. Exactly what you've said. They did it with Burrow and Chase. They did it with Tua and uh, Jalen Waddle. Yes, yes. They've done, it, they've done it in a – this, this is the new trend. Right. That you got you even had Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne drafted in yeah. the same draft for the Jags. They would be I've been low on Jackson Smith and Jigba, but I feel like he is rising up draft boards again just because of how talented he is. He trusts CJ Stroud. We've seen the kind of numbers he can put up with CJ Stroud. This is a no-brainer for sure. I agree with you. 
And now 13, the Jets. They're going to go Luca Lucas Van Ness, edge rusher out of Iowa. I think they can take a little bit of a flyer here with a with a talented guy, come off the edge. More pass rush is never an issue. That's really all I have to say. Luca Luca Van Ness is a freak of nature. He's going to I think he's going to be successful right off the bat. My 13th pick, I have the Jets trading this pick to the Packers. I I think you know, the deal with Aaron Rodgers is going to get done at some point. Um, Aaron Rodgers has already said he's not going back to Green Bay, so I think they really don't have a choice. Uh, but I think part of that will be this first-round pick. So I have the Packers taking Dalton Kincaid, um, tied in out of Utah. I think, you know, they're going to need to surround um, Love with with some pieces. Um, you know, going linebacker, they have not had great success picking linebacker in the first round or defensive pieces. So I'm going to have them pick Dalton Kincaid here. They picked Quay Walker last year and he had a great year. He had an okay year. And he had some problems off the field as well. Um, and then at number 14, uh, I'm sticking with the same one I picked last time. I got Brian Branch. Um, uh, Bill Belichick loves safeties. He loves Alabama guys. It's just a perfect fit. I think Brian Branch to to the Patriots is just it just makes sense. It's it's gonna it's either gonna be Brian Branch or it's gonna be some random offensive tackle that's like graded in the third round because that's what Bill Belichick does. You're really starting to piss me off <laughs> because I've got Bill Ch- Bill Belichick going the random tackle who has a third round grade. Oh, Darnell, let's go, Darnell Wright out of Tennessee. I've got him going. No, but he's he's rising though. He's he not a third round grade I know, anymore. I know he's not a third round grade anymore, but he was. <laughs> I've got Darnell Wright going 14 to the Patriots. Um, I think it's just the, I think it's the pick, man. I, I think that's what they've got to do. He's probably like you said, he's rising up draft boards, and he'll be best available tackle at this point. Belichick loves physical tackles. He's drafted Win before Isaiah Win, uh, before and had success with him. I think this guy Darnell's good. Darnell Wright's good, um, and he's gonna he's gonna get uh, best available. You pick. haven't picked Peter Skaronski yet, though. Yes, I have. I had him nine to the Bears. Oh, okay, got you. Yeah, and now fifteen. I have the Packers picking here. Uh, I've got them going Quentin Johnson, which is getting Jordan Love some help. Um, probably, in my opinion, the best wide receiver in this draft, um, grade wise. And uh, yeah, just get Jordan Love some help. And uh, yeah, uh, that's my fifteenth pick. And uh, I'm not. Oh. Um, this next pick, I'm just I'm ready. My number fifteen, I've got the Packers again. I think they pick Zay Flowers again. Yeah. They they need to get Jordan Love some weapons. I've been very high on Zay Flowers. I've said it every single mock draft we've done. He's he he is literally a a a Swiss Army knife type player. He can play any position. He he's going to be like a Debo Samuel type player, I think, for the Packers. Um, and I think that's going to be a dream come true for Matt Lafleur, who's an offensive mind. So that'll be a home run pick for them. And then at 16, the Commanders, um, I had them originally picking Anthony Richardson back in my last draft. I think the Commanders are going to reach and pick Hendon Hooker here at 16. I think they're taking Hendon Hooker at 16. They're going to they're gonna reach a little bit. They need a quarterback. The ones that they were looking at are not going to be available. I think Hendon Hooker is a little underrated, according to Pro Football Focus. I know he's hurt, but uh, I think this new ownership is going to want to kick off their their time as owners on a, on a new direction on a guy that they hopefully will turn into a franchise quarterback Hendon Hooker at 16 16 the uh, commanders freak you Zach yes 
We, we got the, we're on the same wavelength, dude. Why are you mad? We're on the same wavelength. Because I wanted to, I wanted this to be a surprise. <laughs> Hendon Hooker, it makes sense for them. They're gonna make. They're gonna try to catch a flyer. They don't have a quarterback right now, and a lot of people are saying Hendon's gonna be a first round quarterback. So here, I had them taking Anthony Richardson last time. They're gonna go Hendon Hooker. He's old, but they're gonna go Hendon Hooker. Yeah. And then listen, if, listen. Yeah. Um, their new offensive court, Eric Bieniemy. I think he runs a similar style to Tennessee. It could work. It could be it a could perfect work. fit. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's. I, I didn't expect you to be on the same wavelength with me in that in that regard. Yeah. And All right. Go two, for your 17. Yeah. I mean, two. I mean, we've been reading each other's minds the last five or six picks. Yeah. Now, 17 to the Steelers. They're going to get a steal here. No pun intended. Christian Gonzalez, cornerback out of Oregon. I think he, he slips down to 17. And they're going to be so happy to have him there. That's enough set. He's he's a, he's a dog. At seventeen, I got the Steelers taking Paris Johnson. Uh, they really need a tackle. They're going to need to protect Kenny Pickett. Uh, I haven't. I don't have him picked yet. So that'll be a steal for them. A Paris Johnson is is going to be a solid pick. Then at eighteen, I think the Lions take Jordan Addison. Um, <coughs> I think they're going to. I think they want one more offensive piece. Their offense was not the problem last year, but um, you can only make it better by adding right. Jordan Addison. They've already got their defensive piece that they needed, so I think they I think they can't pass up on him. He's kind of the last guy that had the last wide receiver that has a really a first round grade attached to him. So I think they take him, Jordan Addison. I, I'm on the same wavelength with you, offense. Like with the offense, I've got them going Dalton Kincaid. No T.J. Hawkinson anymore. Traded him to the Vikings. I think they need another guy who's similar to him. They're going to bring Dalton Kincaid in. He's going to be successful. I think it's a good pick for them. Then at 19, I've got the Buccaneers going Brian Brissy, interior defensive lineman from Clemson. He's a guy that can just eat up a lot of space. He kind of fits the way that uh, Todd Bowles wants to play defense. He's going to add on to an already really good defense. And uh, Brian Brissy, 19. By 19, I got the Bucks picking Michael Mayer out of Notre Dame. I really think – I just really have a, a feeling that they're going to go tight end in this draft. Um, and so I got them picking Michael Mayer the best available. Then at 20, I got the Seahawks picking Osiris Torrance out of Florida. Uh, they need a guard, um, and he's the best available guard, the only guard that has a first-round grade attached to him. So I think they're going to take Osiris Torrance here. At 20, I've got the Seahawks taking Osiris Torrance out of Florida. Uh, the same reason you said, best available uh, guard. It's a big need for them, is guard. And uh, he was a guy that I was seeing mocked in the first round a lot, so he's going to go at 20 here. I think it's uh, inevitable. And then at 21, I've got the Chargers going Nolan Smith, edge rusher out of Georgia. I think he made it, he did the opposite of Jalen Carter and made a name for himself out of the combine. I think that now if there wasn't, I feel like there, I could, I could see him going at that 13 spot to the Jets um, in my draft that the Jets are picking. Um, but I think he's going to fall down a little bit. I think the Chargers are going to get a really good player at 21 with Nolan Smith. At 21, I've got the Chargers taking Josh Downs. I think they really wanted a guy like Zay Flowers. He's not available. So they're going to take uh, Josh Downs, who's kind of graded kind of at the end of the first round, beginning of the second round. So it's not really much of a reach, but Josh Downs, I think, will make an impact there. And I think they're going to take him there at 21. Uh, at 22, I've got the Ravens taking Joey Porter Jr. Um, they, they're going to, they, they desperately need secondary pieces. Um, they've had so many injuries in the secondary over the last couple of years. Uh, it's a big need for them. I think they take Joey Porter Jr. out of Penn State. Um, I, 
So same wavelength that I've got, but I've got them going Deontay Banks out of Maryland. I think he's going to hop over Joey Porter, who's kind of slid down draft boards as every single mock draft that we've done. I think he's gotten lower for me, um, but I think Deontay Banks is going to fit that kind of style of defense. Hometown kid. Hometown kid from Maryland. Uh, that's going to be the, uh, the 22nd pick. Then for the Vikings, I've got them going Miles Murphy, edge rusher out of Clemson. Um, this is another guy that's been drawing a lot of hype right now. Um, I think he's going to be really good. Miles Murphy is going to be a steal down here. He might end up being one of the most um, efficient and have the probably one of the better seasons out of the defensive linemen in this draft. Then they're going to be happy to pick him at 23. At 23, I have this is where I have Kalijah Cansey landing at okay. 23 to Minnesota. I think he's, you know, they, they need an interior defensive lineman. I think he's the best available. I think he's going to uh, fit in nicely in that system. Then at 24, I've got the Jags. Uh, this is another team that I really feel like could kind of go any direction, um, but I think they're going to take Lucas Van Ness here and get the edge rusher out of Iowa. Uh, you've already kind of covered, you've already kind of touched the bases on, on Lucas Van Ness. He's a phenomenal athlete, uh, can get to the can get to the quarterback, and uh, I would not be surprised if the Jags went like wide receiver or some kind of offensive weapon, but I think they're going to see Lucas Van Ness there, a, a good pass rusher. He was graded higher than 24. I think they'll, they won't be able to pass up on it. Yeah, I've got them going Joey Porter. This is where I've got Joey Porter getting drafted at uh, at a, out of uh, Penn State. He's a talented kid. I just, for some reason, he keeps falling down boards. I think I'll be happy to get him. Then at 25, I got Brian Branch finally going off the board to the Giants. And he's going to be a, a value pick at 25. He'll be best available. I just haven't seen a need for a safety up in, until the Giants kind of just go with a guy that really you can play him in any either safety position. I think that's valuable for a team like the Giants. And uh, I think they're they're going uh, going there, 25. At 25, I have the Giants taking Nathaniel Dell. They've got to get another another offensive weapon in there for um, for Daniel, Daniel Jones. Jones. Yeah. The, the offensive other than other than uh, uh, Saquon Barkley, their offensive weapons are not very good. Um, and and they still had a pretty good season last year. So I think Dayball is going to want to give another weapon. But the only the best available they've got is Nathaniel Dell, who's a second round grade. So I think they're going to reach a little bit. But I think Dayball can make Dell work in that system. Yeah. Um, and then at twenty six, Mitchell's probably going to hate me for this pick. Um, and and look, as a Cowboys fan, I literally never know what we're going to do every draft. I feel like. You know, years where I feel like we really need to go offensive line first round, we go defense. And I feel like we need to go wide receiver, we pick linebacker. I really don't know what we're going to do, but this is what I would like for us to do. And I know that we have a hard and fast rule on here, but I'm going to break it. I've got a 26 Bijan Robinson to the Dallas Cowboys. I know we say no, no running backs in the first round, but Bijan Robinson, I really feel like is a is is kind of the exception to the rule. He is a general. I think he's going to be a generational talent. Uh, without Ezekiel Elliott, all we have is Tony Pollard. I think we signed another guy, but Bijan Robinson could really be a difference maker in this offense. Um, he's all. I mean, he's a hometown kid. He, he played just down the road. Um, so uh, give me Bijan Robinson at twenty six to the Cowboys. I agree with you. I did the same thing. Let's go. Bijan Robinson is the is the clear pick here. No Zeke. He's got. He's got. You, you, when have y'all been successful? It's when you've been able to run the ball efficiently and effectively. You're going to need Tony Pollard's never been a 100% lead back, and I don't think he's going to thrive in that. 
kind of situation. I think he needs a guy that can be more workhorsey like Zeke was, and he can still play that kind of third down back, scat back kind of uh, kind of guy while still getting 18, 19 carries. B. John Robinson's a perfect guy to bring in here. I hate first-round running backs. You know that. I hate it so much, but I don't think – I really don't see another direction. I feel like this is, like you said, one of the exceptions where they actually genuinely need it. Yeah, I, and I feel like – the Cowboys want to go wide receiver, but there's just not one worth reaching for at this point. Now, in my world, there is because I don't haven't had nearly as many wide receivers go. Yeah, as you. in your draft, there is. In mine, there's not. There's not one worth yeah. reaching for at this point. So, give me your twenty-seven. Oh, twenty-seven is a cornerback out of Mississippi State, Emmanuel Forbes. Uh, it's a depth pick for them. He plays very similar to Tre'Davious White. Um, they just lost a Jesse Bates. I uh, know they didn't lose Jesse Bates. Never mind. Um, but I. Corner is a value pick. They're a team that can afford to just do depth, and I feel like they do that with uh, with Emmanuel Forbes. Yeah, Pro Football Focus has the Bills' only need as defensive back. So I've got them picking Deontay Banks out of Maryland, um, the only first-round graded uh, DB left. Um, and then at 28, I've got in every other dra- every other mock draft, I had the Bengals taking a, a tackle. I think they're going to take Brian Brissy here at 28. Value he's pick. He's there. If he's there. Yeah, if he's yeah. there, take him. Um, I think they already signed another tackle to kind of fill up that need. So that really, it's not really a need anymore. So, g- yeah, give me Brian Brissy to the Bengals at 28 if he's available. I've got the, the Bengals going best available player. Michael Mayer tied in at a Notre Dame. I think that's just another weapon to add to the Bengals offense. Um, he can do a little bit of everything as a tight end. I think Joe Burrow will love to have him, and Zach Taylor's going to love to have a, a, a physical tight end who can also go out and catch a pass on the team. And then 29 for me um, is the Saints. I've got them going Will McDonald, edge rusher out of Iowa State. I really don't know what direction that the Saints can go here. I feel like the Saints are in such a bad position overall right now as a team. Um, I think they're going to go with a guy who – has a little bit of upside, but is also a very big question mark. So I guess we'll see how this works who did out. You ha- Wait, who did you have them picking in? Will McDonald out of Iowa State. Oh, okay, got you, got you. Edge rusher. My number 29 for the Saints, I have them picking Darnell Wright. Um, it's just, it's a safe pick. Yeah. Uh, like you said, the Saints, they're kind of in a bad spot. They think they have the worst cap hit in the league. Um, they just, there's not really a, whole, a direction for this team right now. Hey, they so got think- Derek Carr. So yeah, they they got Derek Carr, but there's they're they're in a lot of they're in a lot of trouble. The Saints franchise is in a lot of trouble. I think the safest pick is just to go with a tackle, Darnell Wright at 29. And then at 30, I have the Eagles taking Nolan Smith at 30. Um, I think, you know, I had him I had him going 10 in my last year. I think it's a little high. Um, but the Eagles will yeah. gladly take Nolan Smith there at 30 value pick. Um, I feel like he's going to thrive in that Eagle system. They already have so many guys that can get to the quarterback. Yep. It's only going to lead to him getting more sacks because they're going to have to put attention on other guys. Sure. Uh, but give me give me Nolan Smith to the Eagles at 30. I got the Eagles going Jordan Addison, wide receiver out of USC. Uh, just add them another weapon. You really can't go wrong since they went interior defensive line with the 10th pick. I think they're going to go away with an athlete in Jordan Addison at the bottom of this draft. And then I've got the Chiefs taking Zay Flowers out of Boston College, which is scary to think about, a guy that I feel like is immediately going to jump in to the Tyreek Hill role for in that offense. I know the enemy's not there, but Andy Reid is still there. Andy Reid's offensive mind knows how to work, how to, how's to, how, knows how to use their pieces. He's going to be a perfect piece and, and a perfect way to end out the first round. 
Yeah, it would be perfect if I st- if he was still available. But in my draft, I have the I have the same pick they had last time. I think they're taking Jalen Hyatt. Jalen Hyatt thrived in a very similar offensive system at Tennessee to what they run at Kansas City. Um, really, any wide receiver could thrive in that system. But I think right. Jalen Hyatt is going to especially thrive. As much as I don't like giving flowers to Tennessee players, I think Jalen Hyatt is going to is going to excel in this Kansas City offense. Um, you know, and then you never go wrong. Kansas City, at least, never misses on wide receivers. And I don't think, they, I don't think they're going to miss on one this year. Either. No, I don't. I don't think so either. And my mouth is dry because we just talked a lot, man. So that wraps up the episode for today. I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you guys enjoyed our mock drafts. Um, leave a comment down below who you think has the better mock draft. Um, I, I, crazy how we went in the same direction in a lot of really weird ways today. Um, but I think that just speaks to how we're kind of, we all, we kind of think the same, um, when it comes to these, uh, these teams, but anyways, let us know how you enjoyed this episode. Keep listening to us. Um, we'll see you in two weeks, which will be draft night. I'm not sure if we'll do it on a Thursday since it will be draft night, but we'll keep you up there. We'll probably try to do it on like a Tuesday or something. I don't know if that's okay. Yeah, probably. But we'll probably try to do that. Um, hope you guys have enjoyed. We'll see you in two weeks. I'm Mitchell Graham, Zach Brown. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Official Review. Before you go, I just wanted to give you a couple ways that you can stay connected with the show. First is our email, mgzbsportsnetwork at gmail.com. With this email, you can stay connected, ask us questions that we will answer on the show. Also, if you want to follow us on TikTok under the same name, we post very, very frequently about everything that's happening. And also, if you just want to check Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts Thursday morning at 8 a.m. for every single episode of the official review. Thank you, and we love you. Peace.